You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City KCPC Camino. It's Tuesday, April 25th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. As another wildfire season looms, the California Report covers the debate over whether firefighters should drop chemical retardants onto large blazes. The expected warming trend this week brings with it concerns about rapidly melting snowpacks and the flooding they could cause. After a look at local news and weather, KVMR's Paul Emery speaks with retired Fed economist Gary Zimmerman in an extended edition of The Economic Report before Gary leaves to teach at Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Weather forecasters expect an early season heat wave this week in many parts of the state. KQED's Ezra David Romero explains the warmth may cause flooding as snowpacks melt in inland areas of California. The high temperatures will likely melt a large portion of the record-breaking snowpack in the southern Sierra Nevada. UCLA climate scientist Daniel Swain says the heat could bring disruptive flooding in the Tulare Lake Basin, where an inland lake has appeared, drowning farmland and threatening cities. The big melt is now here. So you're going to see sustained snowmelt occurring 24 hours a day this week by Wednesday and Thursday. He also expects flooding on the Merced River all the way up into Yosemite Valley. The flood risks across the Central Valley will not go away anytime soon, and there's a growing likelihood next winter will also be a wet winter. He also says fire danger at higher elevations will likely be low because of all the moisture. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. As another wildfire season looms, a federal judge will soon decide whether there should be limits on how firefighters drop chemical retardants onto large blazes. But some lawmakers and residents in areas of the state prone to wildfires say the retardants save lives and properties. North State Public Radio's wildfire reporter Jamie Jiang reports. Both sides made their case yesterday in a Missoula, Montana courtroom. A nonprofit representing environmentalists and former U.S. Forest Service employees says dropping fire retardant in waterways violates the Clean Water Act. Meanwhile, Forest Service officials say those drops were either legal in order to protect lives or accidents. Greg Bolin is the mayor of Paradise. In 2018, a fast-moving wildfire leveled his town and killed 86 people. He says retardant drops helped save lives. And to think that they would stop that from being used. I I just honestly can't even comprehend that. The town of Paradise has weighed in on the side of the Forest Service, along with Butte and Plumas counties in Northern California. According to the United States Department of Agriculture, the retardant dropped on wildfires is primarily made by mixing water with fertilizer. For the California Report, I'm Jamie Young in Chico. On the best of days, agricultural work isn't easy. But in recent years, California farm workers in places like the San Joaquin Valley have also had to deal with record heat waves, wildfires, and more recently, storms and flooding. But because of chronic illnesses, agricultural laborers also face a growing health crisis. KVPR's Carrie Klein has this closer look. Jose Villa was 41 years old when he began feeling exhausted. He was endlessly thirsty, and at night he'd get up six, seven, even eight times to use the bathroom. My colleagues noticed. They told me to get checked out because it could be something serious. 
It was diabetes. In fact, Via says his blood sugar was so high, the doctor said he was at risk of going into a diabetic coma. Via lives in Tulare County. He's a farm worker, one of hundreds of thousands of low-wage Californians who grow and harvest the nation's food. But across the San Joaquin Valley, this population is also overburdened with chronic disease and commonly lacks access to health care. That's why the recent closure of Madera Community Hospital has left this already vulnerable community in a precarious position. Here's Edward Flores of UC Merced. This is uncharted territory. We don't know the risks to people's well-being that we're going to see during major public disasters, you know, when there's a closure of a community hospital in a place like Madera. Flores is the faculty director of UC Merced's Community and Labor Center. Earlier this year, that center authored the Farmworker Health Study, based on interviews with 1,200 farmworkers. As many as half suffer from chronic diseases like diabetes and hypertension. Most are either overweight or obese. I think uh, we should be concerned with the prevalence of chronic conditions that do exist among farmworkers, as well as the lack of health insurance coverage that they experience. Federal labor laws don't require agricultural employers to provide health insurance, vacation, or sick time. So Via, who has worked the fields for 14 years, says it's easy to see how minor health problems could balloon into emergencies. We don't have the culture of going to the doctor because one of the biggest problems is we don't have the money. And when we go to the doctor, we're told we don't qualify. Healthcare access is a problem across this sprawling valley. The region has long been short on doctors and hospital beds. Even when Madera Community Hospital was open, Madera County would have needed two more hospitals to reach the national average number of beds per capita. Now it has zero beds. Mari Perez Ruiz, director of the Central Valley Empowerment Alliance, says the hospital's closure is heartbreaking. What we are seeing here is is tremendous neglect, lack of infrastructure. State Senator Ana Caballero agrees. The farm worker community is absolutely devastated. She had secured state funding for the hospital last year, but it wasn't enough to keep it open. Months later, some potential solutions are taking form. A coalition of ag companies and trade groups wrote to Governor Gavin Newsom demanding urgent funding. Here's Ian LeMay, who wrote the letter. He's the president of the California Fresh Fruit Association. Until this issue is rectified, which to me is a full reopening of Madera Hospital, we need the state's help to bolster resources, nursing capacity, physical facility capacity. Some county governments and nonprofits are sending out mobile health vans to meet farm workers in the fields or the rural communities where they live. California also recently began offering Medi Cal coverage to undocumented adults who make up the majority of farm workers. And advocates like Antonio Delaware Bruce of the nonprofit United Farm Workers are pushing for another solution. Sign a union contract that includes employer-provided health care. Many already do, though they're in the minority. Jose Villa is proud to be a farm worker, to know that the fruit he harvested is traveling around the world. He just wishes his health were more of a priority. For The California Report, I'm Carrie Klein in Fresno. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, accepting nominations now for the 2024 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. Hint, fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from hintwater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, April 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. In regional news, Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis on Monday became the first candidate to enter the race to succeed Governor Gavin Newsom in 2026. Kunalakis, who was first elected lieutenant governor in 2018, kicked off her gubernatorial campaign more than three and a half years before the election. This allows Kunalakis to get an early jump on the rest of the field, according to today's Sacramento Bee. Kunalakis told Politico she planned to campaign on addressing homelessness, fentanyl deaths, and California's high cost of living. If elected, Kunalakas, who was first elected lieutenant governor in 2018, would become the state's first female governor. She's the first major female candidate for the office since Republican Meg Whitman faced off in 2010 against former Governor Jerry Brown, who won a third term. Sports Illustrated and Fox 40 Television are reporting today that Sacramento Kings star point guard De'Aaron Fox, who broke a finger in the Game 4 loss against the Golden State Warriors on Sunday, will play in Game 5 of the NBA Playoff Series Wednesday night. In a media session after practice today, Fox said he most likely will suit up and play through the pain. He fractured the tip of the index finger on his left hand, which is his shooting hand. Later in the media session, Fox sounded even more confident. I'm like 99 to 100% playing. No ifs, ands, or buts. The quiet beauty of Scott's Flat Lake will be on display May 7th during the annual No Motor Day sponsored by the Nevada Irrigation District. Non-motorized watercraft, including sailboats, canoes, kayaks, and paddleboards, will be allowed entry to the Scott's Flat Recreation Area without charge. Use of motorized boats will be suspended for the entire day. Special activities are scheduled for the day, including free sailboat rides from the Gold Country Yacht Club. No Motor Day is from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Vehicle admission is $17, which includes up to four people. Turning to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service, clear with warmer temperatures through Saturday. A flood watch from possible snowmelt has been issued for Thursday afternoon through Monday morning for inland portions of California, including the southern Sierra and the greater Lake Tahoe area. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, clear with a low around 52. Sunny Wednesday with a high near 78 and a low around 54. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, mostly clear with a low around 33. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 66 and a low of 37. In Sacramento and Woodland tonight, clear with a low in the mid-50s. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 87 and a low around 57. You're listening to the KVMR Evening News. As has been the case for low these many months, the national economy continues to broadcast very mixed signals. The smorgasbord of factors include solid jobs numbers, not-so-great inflation data, and tightening credit. How will all that translate into policy action at next week's Federal Reserve meeting?
Economist Gary Zimmerman looks into his crystal ball, with KVMR's Paul Emery peering over his shoulder. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kalb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983, on Spring Street in Nevada City. RickKalb.com. Gary, nice to have you here today to answer a few questions. The Federal Reserve will be back in the headlines next week when they announce their monetary policy decisions uh, after their meeting finishes off on May 3rd. How will we know what they decide to do with interest rates? Well, absolutely, Paul. They will tell us what they're going to do. Um, the Fed's monetary policymakers, uh, that would be the Fed governors, but the Federal Reserve governors and the 12 Federal Reserve Bank presidents will hold a two-day meeting that ends on um, May 3rd. And, you know, at each meeting, only the seven governors um, and the New York Fed president always vote, and then four of the other 11 presidents vote on a rotating basis. But back to your question, you know, as always, immediately after the meeting, there'll be an announcement of the committee members' votes on the interest rate policy and any other major policy decisions like bond purchases or sales or you know, forward guidance and you know, providing the information to the markets and the public about the what, what the Fed policies are likely to do in the future, assuming the economy does what they expect it to do. Um, and then after the meeting, the Fed chairperson holds a press conference to discuss, you know, the policy decisions. So, yeah, it certainly will be in the news and you know, everybody will be hearing about it on next Wednesday. Well, Gary, I've noticed that the Fed policymakers often indicate that their monetary policy decisions are, let me quote, data dependent. What does data dependent mean? Can you explain that to us? I'll try, Paul. Um, the Fed has been using the term data dependent to describe how they make their monetary policy decisions, I'd say, for a little over 10 years now. And the you know, Fed policy statements released after each meeting typically have some comment in there stating that you know, future policy decisions will be data dependent. What does that mean? Well, I think the former St. Louis Fed president, James Bullard, summed it up uh, nicely a few years back that decisions should be based not only on the current dynamics in the data, but also on longer run trends and expectations for the data going forward. Can you um, translate that for us into plain English? <laughs> okay. No more econo speak. Uh, yeah, Paul basically means that the interest rate policy will be adjusted in response to the current macroeconomic data that would be, you know, obviously including inflation gross domestic product or output, labor market conditions, and, you know, many other sort of a wide range of economic indicators that, you know, sort of tell us what, how the economy is performing and how well it's doing. Um, as well as that, the current data, they also should be looking at the longer run trends in those data series and, you know, and also forecasts and, you know, to get a way to, to you know, a sense of where the economy is likely to be going. Um, and they don't want to be how to, how would they put it overly reactive to just the any any blips in the data. There there's a lot of noise in the data and macroeconomic data. It moves around a lot. Um, so you know they have to sort of discount those you know movements that aren't going to make a big difference. 
Gary, are the Fed policymakers providing any signals to the public, business and consumer, and the financial markets about what actions the Fed may take next week and if or how they might change the interest rates? Yes, Paul. Um, Several of the policymakers have been quoted in interviews and or speeches in recent weeks. They usually don't speak in the two weeks prior to a meeting, so they're not they're quiet now. But before that, they were giving their perspectives on what might be an appropriate policy going forward. And, for example, the Atlanta Fed president, uh, Bostic, was quoted last week as saying, you know, inflation remains too high and the Fed needs policies to get it back to 2 percent. You know, I take that as, uh, uh, you know, interest rates will need to go up again. Um, Fed Governor Waller expressed support for more interest rate increases in recent comments, um, you know, within the last two weeks. Um, Richmond Fed President uh, Barkin a couple of weeks ago, after even after seeing the inflation numbers that, that weren't so bad, um, indicated that the you know the Fed has more work to do to get inflation back down to its two percent target. So you know all all of those you know that that's quite a few of them making comments in that along those lines, and so you know uh, others have done the same thing as well. So I think that's that's an important indication of where they're likely headed. And also the minutes of the last meeting also provide an important information or clues. Um, so that March meeting, the minutes noted that the even after the recent banking terminal, turmoil and the failures, uh, they the policymakers were still trying to determine how much more they could raise interest rates. So that's a pretty, pretty big hint. Well, Gary, one more question. Now, looking into your crystal ball, what might we expect the Fed to do when they meet next week? Will they lower their target short-term interest rate to boost the economy, hold it steady, or maybe increase it further? Well, looking at the data and the trends that are showing today, I think, you know, and again, the Fed will have more data next week and (laughs) every week. Uh, You know, labor markets are still tight. Um, The unemployment rate is still at or below full employment at 3.5 percent. The economy is still adding a large number of jobs. Um, The inflation numbers, so on the the other side of the coin, remain high in the five to six percent range. And, you know, GDP is expected to grow, but... um, little slower uh, so these are, are data that you know the economy is certainly you know performing reasonably well um and there's certainly that kind of data will will factor into the fed's decision making um you know going forward they do expect growth to be slower uh, this year um and you know inflation you know they also expect to slow down so you know and then that's as, as a result both of the past interest rate increases that fed has put into play as policy um and also because they're concerned that the, with the financial turmoil and the bank failures that uh, credit availability might be reduced um you know so it, and they're they're even you know obviously real recession worries uh, some forecasters are forecasting a recession. And it was very interesting that in the minutes of the last meeting, it was noted that the Fed staff economists forecast that they presented at the meeting raised concerns about seeing a, a re- potential recession or recession in the in the works. So, uh, you know, we have to go by the data and the outlooks and the forecast and the public comments. And it's, you know, pretty clear that the public comments that a number of these policymakers seem to favor another interest rate hike to fight inflation. 
Um, you know, that suggests to me that on May 3rd, we should expect to see another 25 basis point or quarter percentage point increase in the Fed's target overnight interest rate, moving it up to a range of five to five and a quarter percent. Um, you know, then I think we'll, unless we see major developments in the economy or financial markets, I expect that the Fed will likely pause uh, for a few meetings to just see how the interest rate hikes and potential credit tightening are, you know, slowing the economy or not, and whether they're lowering the high inflation rate um, at an appropriate, <laughs> fast enough, I guess, to to get the Fed down to their 2% inflation goal in a, in a couple of years. So, yeah, lots, lots going on there. Well, Gary, uh, you're going to be in Vienna for a little while, a couple of months coming up, and this will be our last, uh, last financial report from you for a, a while, but we're going to try to tune in to Vienna one or, once or twice. Tell us our, tell our listeners about what you're going to be doing there. I'm going to be teaching a course on monetary policy at the uh, Vienna uh, University of Economics and Business in uh, Vienna, Austria. And we will be looking at what the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank have been doing in terms of monetary policy and how it's affected the economy and um, you know how the economies are performing and what they need to do to keep things going uh, with lower inflation that's uh, closer at their goals. All of them are, you know, most of the central banks are looking for 2% inflation. It's an interesting course at the moment with everything that has been going on, um, recovering from the COVID recession, uh, the creation of inflation coming from that, and 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 you know now with the recent collapse of two large regional banks um, and in the U.S. and a couple, uh, one one in big one in Switzerland as well that, that was also rescued by the central bank in Switzerland. Uh, there's a lot going on for the uh, central banks in terms of making a monetary policy decision. Well, Gary, have a wonderful time over there. I know it's been a couple of years because of COVID and we'll look forward to talking to you when we can. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. You bet. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and is currently a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria. That's our newscast for Tuesday, April 25th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Nevada County Citizens for Choice, promoting reproductive justice and equitable reproductive health care access, advocacy, education, with compassionate services for women, men, and teens. Learn more at citizensforchoice.org. And Dignity Health, providing a comprehensive range of medical expertise, with doctors and hospitals focused on diagnosis and treatment, from minor health concerns to more complex conditions. Details at dignityhealth.org slash our locations. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.